Happy Monday! Today is Monday, May 15th, and you are listening to the Situation Podcast, which is the sister station to the Sojo Files Podcast, and I'm your host, Sojo. On today's episode, we are going to be talking about a case out of Henrietta, Oklahoma. It's a case that occurred the first week of May, so just two weeks ago, and it's a case that a lot of y'all have been requesting me to talk about, and so today, I'm going to fill you in on everything you need to know about this case. Seven people, five of which were children, were found dead on a rural property in Henrietta, Oklahoma earlier this month, Monday, May 1st, 2023 to be exact. The victims were identified as Holly Guess, 35, her children, Riley Elizabeth Allen, 17, Michael James Mayo, 15, and Tiffany Dorr Guess, 13, as well as two other teenagers, Ivy Webster, 14, and Brittany Brewer, 15, both of whom were friends with Holly Guess's children. Now, the seventh body found on the property was that of Jesse McFadden, a convicted rapist who is believed to be the killer of the other six in what appears to be a murder-suicide. Let's talk about how this all got started. Ivy Webster and Brittany Brewer, two teenage girls that were friends with Holly Guess's children, left to stay at the house of Jesse McFadden as the two teens were friends with his stepkids because Jesse McFadden married their mother, Holly Guess, last year in 2022. The mother of Ivy Webster said she had been corresponding with her daughter over the weekend, but got a text message Sunday morning from Ivy's phone telling her that they were going to a nearby ranch and that she would be home later. So later comes around and Ivy Webster's mother said that she got a phone call Sunday afternoon around 5 p.m. from Jesse McFadden saying that they had arrived at the ranch and that the cell phone signal was really shit. And she said that he told her that they weren't getting any good cell phone service and that he had to walk a ways just to get the little bit of communication that he was getting and to even make the phone call to her. So Sunday night, the girls do not return home, and there's no word from the girls. And then Monday morning rolls around, and the girls are still not home. At that point, they were reported missing by their parents on Monday morning, which led to an Amber Alert, followed by a search for the missing teens, Ivy Webster and Brittany Brewer. The teens were immediately believed to have been at high risk as they were last seen traveling with Jesse McFadden, obviously because he was transporting them back to his house. And Brittany Brewer's father said the girls had gone to spend the weekend with Mr. McFadden and his family many times before without incident. And the parents obviously had no idea that Jesse had a criminal history, much less was a convicted rapist until the Amber Alert went out. The Okmulgee County Sheriff's Office also put out a Facebook post on Monday saying that they were working on a missing 14-year-old female, Ivy Webster, from a rural Henrietta area. 
She went with a friend on Saturday to a McAllister area and was supposed to return home by 5 p.m. last night, and now contact cannot be made with her. An investigation is underway, but we need your help if you know of her whereabouts or if you have seen her anytime recently, please call the county sheriff's office. And it appears that there were mixed reports initially on when Brewer and Webster first went missing. And so there was an endangered missing advisory from the Oklahoma State Patrol, which stated something to the effect of the friends were last seen together at 1.40 a.m. Monday. However, the news release that came out said that they went missing from a rural area in Henrietta, an hour south of Tulsa. And this all started when one of the girls didn't come home from McFadden's place 5 p.m. on Sunday as planned. And so initially it seemed like the reports were just causing a little bit of confusion about who was missing and from where and starting when. So while the search for the two missing girls, Ivy Webster and Brittany Brewer, is underway, interestingly enough, police now were also looking for Jesse McFadden as well, because as of Monday morning, he had failed to show up to court to face charges for soliciting a minor leading to a failure to appear warrant being set out for Jesse McFadden. So simultaneously, you have police looking for two missing teen girls and totally separate from that, now looking for Jesse McFadden for failing to appear for charges that involved soliciting a minor. And it just so happens to be that this grown man that failed to appear to court for those charges happens to be the man that was last seen with the two teens that police are now searching for. The search for the two missing teens came to an end when police executed a search warrant on McFadden's property around 3 p.m. on Monday, May 1st, 2023. The bodies were discovered in two groups on the large property. One group included Ivy, Brittany, and Riley found roughly 100 to 150 yards apart from one another, about a quarter of a mile from the home, which led the police chief to describe the scene as staged. And the second group, including Holly, Michael, and Tiffany, were found in a heavily wooded part of the property. Now, according to police chief Joe Prentice, all of the victims died due to one to three gunshot wounds to the head and appeared to have been moved after they had been killed. Jesse McFadden was also found with what is believed to be a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. Now, backstory on Jesse McFadden. He pled guilty in 2003 to first-degree rape and was sentenced to 20 years. And just an interesting little tidbit here, he was charged and pled guilty a week later, which I think, just from a legal standpoint, is quite interesting. Jesse then served nearly 17 of those 20 years in prison and was released in 2020. Now, while he was in prison, in 2017, he was accused of sending sexually explicit photos to a 16-year-old girl. Now, in court docs, the prosecutors described this communication as being manipulative and controlling, and this discovery obviously led to McFadden catching some new charges while in prison for the rape charge. Now, full transparency, 
News outlets are reporting that McFadden was charged with child pornography and soliciting sexual conduct slash communications with a minor. Now, because I like to be fully transparent and also because I come with the motherfucking receipts, I wanted to fact check this. And so I went to where you go to get the court docs and filings for cases in Oklahoma. And what I found on my end was a September 29th, 2017 charge for Jesse McFadden. And it reads soliciting sexual conduct slash communication with minor by use of technology. Now I don't personally see a charge for child pornography, according to this Oklahoma website that has all of the court filings and criminal charges and all of that. Now, that could be a me problem. Perhaps I'm missing something. Perhaps it's a federal charge. I I don't know. I don't know. And now, as I sit here recording this podcast, I am incredibly annoyed with myself for not having logged in and checked to see if he had federal charges for this. But the way that mainstream media was reporting it made it seem as if the two charges were one case, both charges, one and the same for the state of Oklahoma. And I'm not seeing that. And now it's going to annoy the absolute fuck out of me. And I'm going to have to go check. What I can tell you is that... What I'm looking at for the state of Oklahoma, as far as charges go for Jesse McFadden, I'm not seeing this one case as being soliciting sexual conduct slash communications with a minor and child pornography. I am only personally seeing charges for soliciting sexual conduct slash communication with minor by use of technology. So I know that mainstream media is saying that he received charges for soliciting as well as child pornography, but I just want to be fully clear and transparent here that I, for the state of Oklahoma, only seem to be able to find charges for soliciting sexual conduct, not child pornography. I just wanted to be super clear and concise about that and those specific charges and what I was able to verify. Now, For that 2017 charge that I was able to verify, a court proceeding had been scheduled for Monday, May 1st, 2023, which happens to also be the same day that Ivy Webster and Brittany Brewer were reported missing, the same day that he obviously was supposed to be in court and didn't show up, and the same day that the bodies were found on the property. The parents of Ivy Webster and Brittany Brewer, they said they had no idea about McFadden's criminal history or that he was a registered sex offender. And in interviews, they described the sleepovers like what their daughters were having that weekend with that family as routine and said nothing seemed out of the ordinary. Nathan Brewer, Brittany Brewer's father, said that Jesse McFadden seemed like a nice, normal person. Ivy Webster's mother, Ashley Webster, said that we knew him just because our kids were close. So we would communicate pickup, drop off, stuff like that. But we weren't friendly outside of that. We had just met him and Holly many times. And they didn't seem to pick up on anything weird or anything being sketch or out of the ordinary. They said that they would never in a million years, obviously, have allowed their daughter to be around McFadden if they had known about his criminal past and that they never suspected any maliciousness. 
Ashley Webster said, we had no idea. We didn't find out until we saw the Amber Alert with his mugshot and their phone started blowing up that he was a convicted felon, that he did prison time for rape and that he had new charges for soliciting a minor pending. They had no idea until the Amber Alert for their daughter went out. They even said that Ivy Webster and Brittany Brewer had been hanging out at McFadden's house with his stepchildren for the past two years, and that, to their knowledge, had never had an issue. They were unaware of any issues in the past two years that Ivy Webster and Brittany Brewer had been having sleepovers with Jesse McFadden's stepchildren. Now, of course, literally everyone who is keeping up with this case wants to know how the fuck Holly... His wife, because again, they got married last year, could not know about his criminal history. How could she not know that he was a convicted rapist fresh out of prison? How could she not know any of this about him? And how could she marry him and then not only let him be around her minor children, but live with them? Great question, because we have this thing, and it's crazy because like I've learned a lot of people online apparently don't know about this thing called fucking Google. It's free. You can use it to learn shit, educate yourself about all kinds of things. I I mean, I'm constantly encouraging people on TikTok to fucking use that. But um, not everybody, you know, researches every single person in their life. But I understand why people are like, holy shit, how do you not know? Especially given that Allegedly, supposedly, I don't know shit about fuck, but apparently Oklahoma says that he complied with all of his post-release requirements and was checking in every 90 days, allegedly, supposedly, and all that. So I, I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. What I can tell you is that Holly's mother said that her daughter didn't know the truth about Jesse McFadden and that he had fooled her with his charm. You do whatever the fuck you want with that. I just work here. But the story doesn't stop there. A matter of fact, it gets worse. So when this hit the news, obviously the news vultures come out, right? So you have flyovers, whether that be drone or helicopter, what have you. They're flying over. They're getting footage. They're streaming this discovery of seven bodies on a property in Henrietta, Oklahoma. And since we were just talking about how great Google is, uh, you can actually use Google, shocker, to find this news footage for yourself and watch it if that's something that you want to do. But it's very clear, or it was to me, from the news footage that was being streamed when this discovery was made, that the police presence was outside on the property, not inside the home, but it was very clear that the police presence was on the exterior, on the property itself, around this tree line that appeared to be where the police were heavily populated in this streaming news coverage that they had up. So... When I saw that, my initial thought was that the bodies were obviously discovered outside. Perhaps the homicides occurred outside. But either way, I felt like it was very clear from what was being streamed on the news that the discovery was outside and the homicides were perhaps also committed outside. Now, of course, that doesn't have shit to do with fuck when it comes to properly doing your investigation, right? Like just because the bodies were discovered outside on the property doesn't mean that you don't have to properly investigate what happened inside the home or what clues or evidence might be found 
inside the home. You know, it's not open and shut just because the bodies were found outside the home. Now, something I realize and something that people in general need to realize, and this is not fun, and I'm not saying it's right or fair, but I'm saying that it's what the fuck is up, and that is this. It's that their alleged perpetrator, the man who they believed committed these crimes, shot himself dead on the property as well. And that means that they can't take this case to court. They can't prosecute someone. They can't get a conviction in this case. It's a closed case. Now, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just telling you, technically, air quotes, technically, this is a closed case because the perpetrator is not alive to be arrested and taken to court for these homicides. And so I say that to say this, I understand that there are resources that may not be fully utilized in this case because they can't get accountability from the killer in this case. Again, I'm not saying it's right or fair, but I'm just saying that is just a fact. But nonetheless, it's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not a fucking pass. Just because the perpetrator is dead doesn't mean you don't have to do any investigating and you don't have to get any answers for this family. That's fucking bullshit. Now, it does technically mean this is a closed, air quote, closed case because, again, they don't have someone to charge, arrest, and prosecute. So it is technically a closed case, but nonetheless, it just means that maybe... Some resources won't be fully utilized in this case had there been a perpetrator alive to capture and convict. But again, it's not a get-out-of-jail-free card, and you still have to do your fucking job. You still have to investigate things. We call that a death investigation instead of a homicide investigation. We call that a death investigation. Obviously, in this particular case, you have six homicides. But I make that point merely to point out that even if there was just the discovery of a body and they did not believe it to be nefarious or at the hands of someone else, they don't believe it to be a homicide investigation, they still do a death investigation on that discovered dead body. And I make that point just to say that regardless, you still do an investigation whether you believe it to be a homicide or not. Now, it should go without saying that a death investigation is not done as thoroughly as a homicide investigation, but nonetheless, it is investigated to some degree nonetheless. I make that rant for a reason. And that reason is the most atrocious part of this investigation so far. And that's what was discovered inside the home by the parents of the two teenage victims that were reported missing. So let's let's just let's get into that. After the home had been released as a crime scene, the parents of one of the victims, Ivy Webster, went into the home to look around and try to find some answers as to why their daughter was murdered, answers that they say the police had failed to give them. When they entered the home inside of the living room, they found a twin-size bed lying on the floor with a pink-patterned blanket covering it. And in addition to that, they found desktop monitors and computer towers in the corner of the living room, along with two more computer towers and four additional desktop monitors in different areas of the home. In the bedroom adjacent to the living room, they found restraints 
chain restraints bolted to the frame of the bed. They found sex and bondage devices scattered throughout the room and a lot of other very disturbing items inside of this house. In the kitchen, which was about 10 feet away from the living room, they found a restraint that was bolted to the counter with fresh locks and chains still attached to it. In the laundry room, they found various items such as drug paraphernalia, weapons, a human dog collar, and handcuffs. They also found syringes that appeared to still be filled or contain a dark substance, which you can see this in the video because the family documented themselves inside the home, looking at everything, finding it. That's all documented and on video, which is online for your viewing. They found their daughter's cell phone in the laundry room and immediately called the police to come back to the home to collect items that they feel, obviously so, that the police should have fucking collected in the first place and not left behind. They found bloody children's clothes and a ledger with what appeared to be names and ages, and they found cell phones hidden under floorboards. They found a four-inch stack of pictures and restraints taped to the back of a dresser. And that's just some of the shit that they found when they went inside of this home. They even pulled out a dresser, and behind it, they found a towel that had duct tape all around it. And when they viewed this, it had Velcro restraints on it. And unlike the other restraints that were kind of scattered throughout the house, this one was taped to the back of the dresser to conceal it. And the family says that they asked the deputy that was on scene if he wanted it. And he said, this is not an active crime scene. It's solved. If you don't want it, put it in the dumpster. And the list goes on and on. They found a check written by Holly Guess, McFadden's wife, for a storage unit at U-Lock Storage that even had a unit number on it. They found medications labeled belonging to Jesse McFadden. They found more cell phones. They found restraints. Apparently, they found drug chocolate and syringes. All still at the house. All still visible all uncollected by the police. And if you believe what the victim's family said about the officer's response, that it's a closed case, and so if you don't want it, throw it in the trash, that says a lot. And obviously is why the public is completely outraged by the fact that the victim's family had to go into the house to get answers, only to discover that the police had failed to collect items that I can't fathom why you would deem them unnecessary just because the killer was among the bodies discovered outside. Again, I understand that the way things work, you're not going to utilize every single resource to the full extent on a case that can't be prosecuted. But again, as I ranted about earlier, you still do an investigation. And to leave all of this stuff behind begs the question of, what the fuck kind of investigation they did to try to find out what went on in that home and what led to these homicides. This case is obviously all over national news and it's all over social media. It's currently trending. I fucking hate to say that something, a case is trending on TikTok, but it is. And it has sparked a lot of conversation about sex offenders. So I want to encourage each and every one of y'all listening to this podcast to use this as a learning opportunity to educate yourself 
on the laws in your area as they apply to sex offenders and what they can and can't do upon release. And I mean this with all due respect because society doesn't do a great job of teaching these things, but it became abundantly clear to me while we were all interacting on TikTok Live and talking about this case that people really don't know about the laws as they apply to sex offenders and when they're released. Offenders upon release, they're allowed to be around their biological children if their biological children were not their victims. Now, I'm obviously speaking very generically here, but that is the generic truth. It's also a generic truth that an offender can be around their stepchildren if their stepchild is not one of their victims. And that might come as a shock to a lot of people, and rightfully so. But these are facts that you need to be aware of and to educate yourself on as it applies to the law and sex offenders when they're released from prison. With that, I think that this episode has hit all of the key points and facts that you all need to know about the Henrietta, Oklahoma case thus far. Besties, I want to personally thank you for hanging out with me today, for listening to this podcast. If you've enjoyed it, make sure to hit that subscribe button. Also, if you want more, make sure to subscribe to the sister station, The Sojo Files. You are very much appreciated. As always, I am completely shocked that this is my actual job and what I get to do, and none of this would be possible without the support from each and every one of y'all, and I cannot tell you how much I appreciate each and every one of y'all. There are no words to express my gratitude that you all listen to this podcast and listen to the Sojo Files and make it possible for this to be my job. I will never be able to fully grasp that, but I am eternally thankful for each and every one of you. And I just wanted you all to know that. I wanted to remind y'all of how much I love and appreciate you all. So with that, I love you all and I will see you guys on the next episode. Have a kick-ass rest of your fucking day. Mwah.